Uh, how many of you uh, caught any of the inauguration of uh, King Charles? It was a few weeks back. Did you catch any of that on TV or, or see any of it? Or were you completely, like me, completely disinterested? Um, but regardless of that, I still had to watch it. So I was uh, captive in the car, and Diane had it streaming because of, there's a lot of pomp and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but one of the things I figured out as I was... Uh, Watching all that is that um, if you are British, there is a right and proper way to do just about everything, right? Am I right or am I wrong? Um, England has to be responsible for all of these different manners, table manners, uh, that, that, that we, you know, we can't put our elbows on the table, we can't do this, you have to put the silverware on the left side and whatever on the right side, and there's so many ways to do it wrong. Um, so I thought maybe we could go for a little refresher course, a quick refresher this, mor- this morning, um, and I checked in with an etiquette expert. Did you know there's such a thing? There are etiquette experts, I have no idea what qualifies someone Uh, to take hold of that title as an etiquette expert. Uh, But there is a lady, her name is Sharon Schweitzer, and she is among the etiquette experts. And um, so here are some of the lesser-known table manners that she points out in an online article. So the first one is this, that uh, food and condiments are to be passed around the table counterclockwise, okay? Is that news to you? I didn't know that, Um, but uh, that is one. Uh, Number two, um, salt and pepper are always meant to travel together. So if you you pass the salt, you pass the pepper. It is never one without the other. It's just not proper. Okay, third, if you are the middle person as a tray is being passed from one place to another at someone's request, it is bad form to stop that procession, stick a fork in, and get a little piece for yourself on the way. You just do not do that. It's got to make its way directly from one to the other, okay? So um, one more, um, and this is an important one. Like, where is the boundary line between where you can, where you can grab and where you have to ask for something, right? Uh, do, do you know what that is? I, Apparently, here's what it is. The boundary line is the widest point of your folded elbows. If what you want is beyond that, then you request do not reach. If you want to uh, pertain to proper table manner etiquette according to the etiquette experts. Um, The passage we're looking at this morning is giving some instructions into proper etiquette um, but to a very different place, where it, it's about the right manners to bring to the Lord's table, or what we, we call oftentimes around here communion. Um, so we're continuing on this morning in a series. We're in 1 Corinthians. The series is called Growing Pains. And each week we're seeing a different snapshot of what spiritual maturity looks like. And uh, we're learning it from this letter the Apostle Paul wrote to this childish church in Corinth, um, who just like us, we all desperately need to grow up 
um, in, when it comes to our walk with the Lord. And this is a great handbook for learning how and understanding what that looks like. And, and so the Corinthians have been carrying in this very careless, almost like a selfish attitude as they, as they came to the Lord's table. And so Paul takes some time to give them some instruction, uh, both to them and to us, on how to carry in a careful attitude instead of a careless attitude. So if you have a Bible, um, I want to invite you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what we're going to do is just take a little bit of a deeper dive into this practice of Christian um, communion. And, and just to prepare you in advance, some of you have kind of a little bit like, I don't know, just a little disheveled because we didn't receive communion yet. And we usually do. And I know we're all like creatures of habit. What happened? We were supposed to do that between the third and the fourth song of the first step before the sermon started. <laughs> Take heart, we're going to get to it, but we're going to do it at the end because you guys, us together, we are going to, um, we're going to do the conclusion of this sermon together by receiving uh, communion. So a um, little bit of an introduction, um, every variety of um, Christianity celebrates this tradition of communion in some way. It's, 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 it's something we do because Jesus told us to do it. He instructed his first followers, do this in remembrance of me. That's what he said. And so as Christ followers, we follow that instruction and we remember him by coming around this table. Um, it's, it's viewed as an ordinance um, or some traditions describe it as a sacrament. And the idea is that it's a, it's a special moment. It's a sacred time um, to go back to on an ongoing basis, to remember uh, something that we can very easily lose sight of and forget. And so the passage we're going to start out with, it, it provides some of the clearest instructions, uh, the most comprehensive teaching on what this is all about, how it works, why it matters, and how to go about it. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, at the, ba- at the most basic level, um, What it is, it's about making space together as a church family to remember and reorient our lives around Jesus, around the the saving sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Um, That's what this is all about. When, When he let his body break, when he let his blood shed to accomplish our salvation and and win our forgiveness. Okay, so so to start out, um this ordinance or sacrament or practice, it, it goes by three different terms, typically. Uh, three different, I would say, interchangeable terms um, that all describe the same practice. And, and so there's times you will hear it referred to as communion, other times where it's called the Eucharist, and other times when it's referred to as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Now, each one of those terms, like I said, they they refer to the same practice, but they give a slightly different angle, a different insight into that practice. And what's fascinating is this passage that we're starting out with, and we find all three of those terms in it. Uh, It references all three of them. And so I'm going to read starting in verse 16 to 21, and uh, here's what it says. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. 
The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? The food, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Okay, so that's a little bit confusing. What is going on here, Pastor Brian? This is an ongoing conversation. You had to have been here the past few weeks to, to get the full sense of what's going on. Um, Paul's friends in Corinth, they were kind of getting tied up together. They were practicing their Christian freedom and said, yeah, I'm free to go to these demonic temples, these idol temples, sit down and worship with my friends there and eat meat that had been sacrificed to these idols. And he's saying, no, don't do that. Um, that, that when you do that, you're participating with these dark demonic forces and how can you do that when you're already participating in, in the Lord's table? Um, and, and the key verse is in verse uh, 16. It's this participation. How, how can you participate? Uh, that word in the original Greek is the word koinonia. Um, it's a very deep, rich Christian word. It's where we get the, we get the word communion from. Um, so communion is a, is a translation of that word koinonia, and it describes basically deep fellowship, what it is that unites us all together. And this is a big part of, of what this table of remembrance uh, is all about. We're remembering what it is that unites us together. The glue that binds the church family together is, uh, is that which creates community, and and that glue is, is Jesus. Um, so, so, so we all carry in this morning this common uh, faith in Christ. That's what kind of makes Lakeview Community Church what it is. So, so every week, right, even now, if you look around the room here, you'll see that there are all kinds of people. We come from all different walks of life. Uh, we are different in so many ways, uh, different ages, we come from different places, we have different jobs, different levels of education, different hobbies, different political affiliations, different musical tastes. We're very different, but there's some things we also have in common that bind us together, and the common denominator that brings us together is, is Christ. It's, it's Jesus. And so that word communion, that's highlighting that community aspect, that communal aspect of the Christian faith, the reality that, that we are here together. God has brought us together because you may not know this, you probably do, but it's, it's really hard to receive communion by yourself, right? We don't eat communion, we receive communion. And you can't receive it on your, on your own, in your house, uh, by yourself. Com communion is a call out of isolation into community. It's, it's a call to connect together, to belong, to be a part of a local church body that's centered around Christ. So that's that word uh, communion, uh, koinonia. Uh, there's a second word that we see in this passage, which is, uh, it talks about the cup of thanksgiving, now, the Greek word for that, for giving thanks, it's, it's the Greek word called 
Eucharistos, Eucharistis, and, and that's where the term Eucharist comes from. Um, if you are from a Catholic background, you probably don't talk about communion so much as you talk about the Eucharist. And, um, and, and that's biblical. That comes from Scripture. In the Gospel accounts, um, we see that at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus made a point to, to give thanks. And that's what the word Eucharist means, give thanks. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them. And so that word Eucharistos, it's, it's a compound word. The, the, the root word is cherish, uh, which means to express joy, to give thanks. And then there's this prefix you, which is sort of an intensifier. Um, it, it adds intensity to the next word. So if you put it together, it's exceeding joyful gratitude. And that's a big part of what communion, what the Lord's table, what this time of remembering is. And, and it's, it was used so often in the Bible to describe this, this, this time of coming and remembering uh, that sometime around the second century, uh, that term Eucharist just started to be used to describe the whole ceremony in its entirety. So, so what we glean from that is that this time of remembering, it's a time to joyfully give thanks to God. Just simply to say, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for me, for us. To let gratitude rise up in our hearts when we stop and take the time and intentionally remember that because of Jesus, because of his broken body, because of his shed blood, because of his sacrifice, our standing before God is safe and secure, that we're loved, we're accepted, we're cherished, we're precious in God's sight, not because of what we've done, uh, but because of what Jesus has done, what he did on the cross for us and It's that remembrance that he did it all, and it cost him everything. He gave it all up. He went to the cross willingly. He let his body be broken. He let his body be crushed. He let his blood bleed for you and for me. And so Eucharist is this appropriate term, right? Because how can we we come with anything but gratitude when we see all that has been done for us? Uh, So we have communion, we have Thanksgiving or Eucharist, and then the last term would be the term that's called the the Lord's Table. Um, And and that that term kind of reminds us um, that what we're doing is to be approached in relational terms. In other words, this time of remembrance is not just some ritual to check off on the box uh, once a month on a Sunday morning. It's it's a relational thing. There's a table there to sit at. It's about meeting with the Lord. And back in the biblical days, uh, it was a very big deal to sit down and eat with someone. It wouldn't be something you would do just casually with anyone. You would only be seen eating with someone that you were willing to be associated with, that you wanted to be seen by others with and say, hey, this is my friend. This is someone that I'm willing to invest my life in and be associated with. And so in that way, there's this invitation that the Lord is inviting us. Sit down with me, meet with me, fellowship with me, come to the table and be with me. And, and do you remember um, 
in Jesus' life, who were the kind of people Jesus invited to sit down and eat with? Sinners and and outcasts, uh, tax collectors like the Zacchaeus guy who everyone else avoided. Jesus said, no, come sit down. People who were far away from perfect. People who didn't have their lives all set and put together and everything oriented 100% right. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be very good news, right? Because Jesus invites us to sit down and to sup with him, to be with him, to spend time with him as well. Not only after we've just got our lives all put together and everything's in line and, and we've got everything straight and figured out, but, but right now, just as we are. And so one of the things that you'll hear here at Lakeview, uh, hopefully often, is that uh, you know the qualification for receiving the elements... Uh, coming to the Lord's table, it's, it's not having our lives all put together. It's not being perfect, because if that were the case, these trays would remain full every time we ever celebrate. None of us would be able to come to the table, uh, but this is a table for broken people. This is a table for imperfect people. This is a table for needy people who understand that what they need, what we need, is found in Jesus our Savior. And we're discovering and receiving the amazing grace of God and receiving his mercy, his love, and we're learning what it looks like to build our lives around him. And so that's the beauty of that invitation. And so uh, those are the three terms that give us an insight into what this um, what, what this time of remembrance is all about. And, and so that term, the Lord's table, it also raises one of the big questions that uh, a lot of people have. Sometimes they articulate it, but sometimes they don't. But the question is this, what exactly am I eating? What am I drinking when I take up the cup and the bread? And so we want to talk about that. Let's talk about the elements uh, just a little bit here. There are traditions um, that hold to a teaching that's called transubstantiation. So there is your $4 word for the morning transubstantiation, which basically means that as an official priest uh, blesses the elements and performs certain specific rituals that usually involves like, you know, incense and and smoke and all kinds of cool things, um, that in the process, the elements themselves actually become the bread and the blood of Jesus, literally. And so in receiving the elements, what the belief kind of expresses is that you're actually receiving Jesus, ingesting him physically into your life. And so I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I was at church sitting in the pew, and they were passing out the elements. And, and, and my cousin took the cup, and she was holding it in her hand. And as she held it, she accidentally dropped it. And the juice went spilling all over on the rug in front of her. And she kind of looked at me with her eyes bugged out. And I looked back at her and tried not to laugh. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. Did my cousin just spill Jesus? Is Jesus spilled out on the carpet in front of us? Uh, that's, that's the question. And the answer is no. Okay. Uh, the Bible teaches that the cup and the bread are, are symbols They're symbols of Christ. They're not the substance of Christ. 
Or as a friend of mine likes to say, that we believe that Jesus is present at the table, not on the table. Um, And so what we see is that in Scripture, Jesus uses figurative language, metaphors. And so when he says, this is my body, uh, this is my blood, um, and we want to understand how to interpret it, we, we interpret it the same way we do when, we, when Jesus says, I am the gate, right? In, in John, Jesus says, I am the gate. Now, we don't go to a gate and say, there's Jesus, right? We understand that. We, we understand it's not a literal gate. It's a metaphor, uh, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, we don't look out in a prairie far away and see like a sheep with a shepherd say, there's Jesus, right? We understand um, that this is, this is metaphorical imagery. And, and so when he says, um, this is my body, this is, this is my blood, we, we recognize that this is symbolic. What we're doing, Jesus said, is do this in remembrance of me. And that's what That's what communion is all about, a time to stop, to hit the pause button on everything else that's going on and focus ourselves on remembering. In fact, Jesus intentionally tethered this time of remembrance, this communion celebration to another meal of remembrance. Uh, It was the Passover meal. Uh, So so in his last supper where he instituted this, this communion time, um, it, was, it was something that took place during the Passover, the biggest celebration on the Jewish calendar. When, when Jesus instituted communion, he was showing, pointing out that Passover was actually a foreshadowing of him and what he was about to do on the cross. So in Luke chapter 22, he says this. He says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the cup, and, he, and when he had given thanks, he said, take and divide it amongst yourselves. And he took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so that was, that was the Passover meal that he is personally applying to what he was about to do on the cross. Now, the Passover meal, every part of that is intentionally designed uh, so that in the ages to come, the Israelite people would never forget that moment when God saved them, when he brought them out of Egypt, when he rescued his people out from the bondage of slavery. And so the night before that happened, uh, each family was instructed to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and then to wipe the blood from that lamb on their doorposts, and the front of their doorposts. It's kind of a gross kind of, I don't know, messy kind of thing, but, but that's how it worked. And that night, God's judgment, the angel of the Lord came to Egypt and judgment fell all over that land. But anywhere he saw the blood of that lamb, he passed over that door, that house, and his judgment passed over as well. And so the next day, they walked out of Egypt, uh, not as slaves, but they walked out as free and redeemed people. And so Jesus there during that last supper said that he was the Passover lamb. He was the ultimate Passover lamb, that he was on his way to give his life to be the ultimate sacrifice to free us from something even bigger than 
physical slavery, from that physical oppression that the Israelites experienced in Egypt, that, that there is a spiritual oppression, a slavery that none of us can get out ourselves. But he was going to get us out, to free us, to liberate us. And so in that last, sentence, that, that last supper, he, he presents this, these, these really powerful, and, and what I love is that they're, they're very concrete and multisensory, right? It's just, uh, you know, bread. You, you, you eat it. You can see it. You can touch it. You drink the blood. And, and there's these symbols, uh, one to, to, present, to represent his body and the other one to, to represent his blood. And, and we, you guys know we use juice here, um, but uh, that's not how it was. Originally, it was wine. Um, but the point is that 2,000 years later, that we would always come back to this moment, to this history-defining moment when God broke through and accomplished redemption for the world. He did what only he could do. He did what none of us could do. He made that way for you and I to find mercy instead of judgment. This, this new covenant, this new way to relate to God because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to keep on going and get into some of the specific approaches uh, within which that we come to the Lord's table. In light of everything we've looked at, in light of all that's been done, uh, what kind of table miners are, are we to bring um, as we come to the Lord's table? So we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm just going to read a few verses where it says, uh, it says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. Okay, there's a little bit to unpack here, but this is basically table matters. What is going on? What is the point? What is the purpose? And how are we, go to, how are we to go about it? So, so let me say the first thing. It says in verse 26 that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And what that number one means is that communion, this receiving of the elements, is, it's, it's, it's sending a message um, that in a very real way, when, when we come together as a church body, when we receive the elements, we are together uh, preaching a sermon, uh, an unspoken corporate sermon. It's the same word um, for, for, that we use for preaching. And so the act of receiving communion is in itself a testimony. It's a proclamation. It's a way of witnessing to anyone who is watching this is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. So everyone around can clearly see it and understand it. It's a way of sharing the gospel, in a sense. And what that means, then, is that this is not just some kind of empty ritual, right? It's not just going through the motions. It's not just something to just do without actually giving consideration to what it's 
speaking, what it's saying. Um, the supper is serious business to God. Now, I don't want you to mishear that. It doesn't mean that we're to be somber and sad and like flagellate ourselves as we come to the Lord's table. All right, we've already seen that Eucharistic idea of joyful gladness. We're giving thanks. We're, we're, we're being joyful. We're being happy. But communion is it's not something to just be cavalier about. Don't bring that careless attitude to the table. That was the problem that was going on in Corinth. That's, that's the actual direct issue that's being addressed here. So back then, the Lord's Supper was connected to a church-wide dinner. It was almost like having an after-church potluck. And then at the end of the potluck, they would do the actual ceremony um, of, the, of the Lord's Supper. And the um, problem is that there were some who would get to the supper early and they would take whatever food they wanted. They would go into a room alone and they would eat all they wanted. Um, and they had no concern about anyone else. They isolated themselves. So the community, the communion part was being destroyed and, and they had no regard for others. They were, there was, they were bringing this selfishness uh, to the seat of the Lord's table. And, and so this is what the response is to that. And the idea is that that kind of selfishness, it's not okay. Don't carry that selfish attitude into the Lord's table, into this time of remembrance. It actually explains here that as a result, there were those who were within the church who Paul says, there's a weakness there. There is a sickness that's even, he says, some of the people in that church in Corinth had died, gone to the grave because of that cavalier, careless attitude about the Lord's table. They were coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so the message is clear. We come to the Lord's table as we are, but we don't come to the Lord's table without caring about what it is and what it's all about. Come carefully. Care about the Lord. Care about those that you're connected to and your church family around you. Right? So that's something to think about. Um, maybe give consideration to there are times when there are spiritual causes to physical issues, physical sickness, physical ailments. Not all the time, but not none of the time either. All right? So maybe just add that to the way that you view uh, the, the physical challenges that you go through. Either way, here's the prescription that Paul, as the doctor, the spiritual doctor, writes. He says, do this. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself as you come to the Lord's table. We do that by examining our own lives. Take the time. Stop. Take some time and look in the mirror Take stock of your heart. Take stock of your life. Is there any sin issues? Are there any unresolved issues that are standing in between you and the Lord? If they're breaking fellowship with him, deal with them before you come to the Lord's table. That's just basic table manners. Confess it. Leave it behind. Whatever it is that's getting in the way of your walk, your relationship with him. So again, this uh, just starts to 
like introduce lots of questions. Um, sometimes we get answers for every answer. Sometimes we get th three more questions. One of them is often that I get is this. I have, I have unresolved conflict in my life. I've got beef with a brother, right? Whatever it is, does that mean I should just let the plate pass? Should I not partake of the elements? Asking that question, I got to say, it, it, it actually shows that there's an earnestness, a seriousness um, that I really appreciate. My view is most of the time is that that should be a very rare exception uh, because the point is not to forego the Lord's table. Um, I think it's better to view it, to see the Lord's table as a scheduled time for a spiritual reset, right? Um, so, so if you know that, okay, it's the first Sunday of the month, which is when we typically try to do communion, you know that time is coming up, and that is a time um, to make sure that whatever I need to do to reset my walk with the Lord, to be current, to deal with anything that's getting in the way, make sure I deal with it so I can come and approach the table. See, the point is, is to participate. And, and other times people will say, you know what? Oh, I just, I blew it big time last week. I said I was going to do this. I resolved I committed myself, and I just completely blew it. I'm not worthy to come to the Lord's table this Sunday after I had a week like I had. It's another common approach. And here's, here's my response is, the issue is this, have you confessed and repented of it? Right? If you haven't, then do that. And if you have, then let me very gently but also very firmly say this to you. Who do you think you are? Do you really think that there's anything noble about putting limits on the grace of God? So we already said that receiving the elements is sending a message, right? We're proclaiming, we're preaching through that. What kind of message are you sending when you avoid the Lord's table because of that? The message is that your sin is greater than God's grace. And I'm sorry to, no, I'm happy to inform you that that's not true. It's the other way around. His grace is greater than all our sin. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the beauty of the grace that was shown to us, that's poured out to us, that this is a living message for us to receive. So there is no instruction in scripture we see about what interval at which should we receive communion? Um, originally, it was celebrated once a year um, in replacement or as fulfillment of the Passover. But over the years, um, some churches, they celebrate it once a year. Other churches do it every week. And like I've said, we chose at this point to celebrate it once a month. But that could change. We may, we may decide to change that at some point. But the point is, is more about how we come than it is on how often we come. And, uh, and, and one last thing I'll say is there's nothing magical um, in that, uh, you know, by receiving these communion elements, are we expecting, like, you know, am I expecting to have some kind of spiritual high moment because I've done this? Um, no, 
but also maybe yes, right? We, there, there is nothing magical about the elements themselves, but we understand that this act of coming to the Lord's table, that he's present here, right? And so in some mysterious way, Jesus is present. And that means as we come with a heart of faith, with a heart of expectation, we come with the expectation to encounter him, and to receive from him something of his grace and leave in some way different, encouraged, built up, edified than we were before we came in. Let me, let me answer one last question, one last common question before uh, we conclude together. Um, the question is, who should, part, who should and shouldn't participate in the Lord's table? And uh, this, this has to do whether you are a Christian um, or you are a seeker, someone who's kind of just kicking the tires, figuring things out. If you are just checking things out here, but you haven't crossed that line of faith and placed your trust personally in Jesus as your Savior, um, the question is, should you take the cup and receive the bread? And, and I would just say the answer to that is, is no. Um, the reason being is, is not to be exclusive or to leave anyone out. It's more to just be honest. Um, because wouldn't it be disingenuous to, to remember someone you have yet to meet for yourself? Right? That's, that's the point. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, but you can't remember someone you've never trusted in. And that's the whole point, to remember him. So having said that, though, I would say this, that communion can be a really powerful time, a moment when you can consider whether you are ready to cross that line of faith, to put your trust personally in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And so as we close, if that is you, I want to invite you to watch Watch the way those around you are receiving these elements. Watch the earnestness of that. that, that as, as we remember um, this Savior on whom we build our lives, we build our hope on him. You may not be ready to receive the bread and the cup, but maybe you are ready to receive Jesus. And I would invite you to do that, to place your trust in him and all that he's done for you. And if you have done that, if you are a believer, I will just tell you that the Lord's table, it's open to you. Um, you don't have to be a member of this church. Um, it's the Lord's table. It's not this church's table. And his invitation for you and for me is for us to remember, to come back. Not just to rem remember the pain and the suffering of the cross, but also to remember the amazing love that brought him there, that he gave his body, let his blood shed for you and for me. You see, communion has a shelf life. There's going to come a time when we're no longer going to remember. We, we remember his death until he comes again. And communion is a way of just making us homesick in the best way, right? We are homesick for that day when he returns, when we no longer have to remember because we'll see him face to face, when we feast with Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and when the dwelling place of God is again 
with us.